Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the show for and about conscious leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. Hey, it's Laura. Thanks for tuning in. Our guest this episode is a wonderful fit for December. She's a wonderful fit for this collective crossing of the finish line of 2020 that we're all experiencing, first as a collective and second as individuals, because everyone's circumstances and experience of this year are unique. Bridget Dengel Gaspard is the author of The Final Eighth, Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals. The marathon has been used as a metaphor for 2020 in many of the articles that I've read and In some ways, that's very, very true. And for the purposes of this conversation, we're going to be looking a lot at the finish line and getting across it. Bridget Dengal Gaspard, she's a former performer. She has earned a master's degree from Columbia University, and she teaches at numerous professional settings, including the Omega Institute. She's going to share how her life's journey um, brought her to discover voice dialogue Um, It's a method for getting to know your inner selves as a source of wisdom and guidance in your own life. And we take a deep dive in this conversation into what the method itself is like. But then in the second half of our time together, we get right into a couple of concepts that have had quite an impact, I must say, in my own life which uh, are the double bind and understanding the parentified child. There are, as Bridget will tell us and share, there are positive aspects and real challenges to pretty much every single energetic dynamic that surrounds our inner selves, the double bind and being a parentified child. But as leaders it really serves us and it serves everyone around us if to understand what these dynamics are and how they show up in our life. So I encourage you to uh, really partake in this conversation. One thing that I will share with you is that she takes me through a round of um, the voice dialogue. And as you'll probably sense my discomfort, it's actually kind of hilarious, but it's the first time that I've ever done anything like this on the podcast. And as strange as it felt at the time, it was a wonderful way to illuminate what this method is like and take it off the pages and be able to share with you. So um, I hope you will enjoy it and take the deep dive that is available to you and check out The Final Eighth. It's a pretty great book and it's going to be staying on my limited shelf space. Bridget and I had never met before this conversation and we get along like gangbusters. So um, that part is super fun. And when you enjoy this conversation, I would love it if you would leave a review on the podcast, particularly if you're listening to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And come on over to social media and connect and engage with us there on the posts about this episode to help more people hear it. 
I do believe that this is some information that has not been fully explored. And the more people who understand these dynamics, um, the better off we will all be. So with no further ado, a conversation with Bridget Dangle Gaspard. Our guest this week is Bridget Dangle Gaspard. I'm so happy to have you here to talk about your new book, The Final Eighth, and uh, and just a welcome to free your inner guru, Bridget. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here, Laura. So we were just talking offline, and I was sharing with you that uh, that I've read The Final Eighth and um, and have gone through not all of the exercises in the book, but certainly all of the, the, the chapters and the, the, the core concepts. So I'm really excited to, to dive deeper, if possible, into them with you today. Before we go that route, I would love to hear a little bit about your journey and how you came into this world that, that if somebody was to ask me what genre the book is, I would place it definitely in self-help. But there's also a fair amount of um, psychology in the book too. So how, how did you how did you get to where you are now? So I am a former performer, and I live in New York City. And so I was performing in New York City and doing stand up comedy and writing skits and things like that many many years ago. And I was also having. Uh, my own issues in terms of needing healing. And so I actually read the book by John Bradshaw, which is a classic, Healing the Shame That Binds You. And I recommend it to any listener, even after what it's 30, 40 years old. It's incredible. In that book, at the end, he listed a word I don't love, alternative healing modalities. And there was about seven pages about this technique called voice dialogue. And as I read it, I was electrified. And I'm like, this, this just felt like the it thing. And so I hunted down the doctors, Hal and Sidra Stone, who developed it, which meant I got their 800 number. And so because I was an improviser and I'm a, a dancer as well, I love body and physicality. That's how I work. And so it, I was attracted to it quite uh, as a creativity tool. I thought, on the one hand, this will be fabulous for the audition situation. Like you have to come in being sane and being hello, everyone. Then you have to go as the character to the height of despair or the bottom of elation, whichever way you're going. Then you have to come out of that energy, be available and say goodbye. And so it just felt like such a great tool to use for creativity and for, for navigating these different environments. So I, I followed up. I started to get facilitations of voice dialogue, which really is talking to different parts of yourself. And so what I loved about it is you could go to a part and you'd ask that part, tell me all about you. So if you go to a perfectionist, you're like, hey, perfectionist, how perfect do you like things? You never say, can you relax a little? Bridget's having a few issues here and you're a perfectionist. Just relax, Laura. I know. (laughs) Thank you. How often does that work? AKA, I think never. And so it was so validating anyway, as an approach. And so as I started to really uh, engage in the voice dialogue process, I started to get to be trained as a trainer. And 
I became mesmerized. The healing that was unfolding just in these trainings between fellow participants was mesmerizing. And so quickly, it's like people got a visceral sense that they were much larger than who they thought they were. And that alone is healing. And so over time, the performing and this pursuit of parts just lost um, appeal to me because what, what was really riveting was all this work. So I went back to school and I got my master's in social work, which is how I could become a psychotherapist in New York at Columbia University. And so then that married the psychology, the clinical expertise and uh, experience and training with voice dialogue and all of my creativity and writing, which I've always loved. So this book really is an amalgam of all of that and a distilled version of my own journey. And here are things you can do to have that promise of a life you could not dream of that because it's so amazing. And having access to different parts is liberating. And so, and it's interesting because with this, when I first started reading the book and the first couple of chapters, you're meeting like your inner selves and, and there's a really, you, you have a really fun sort of play on words in a number of your chapter titles and, and subtitles beneath that fun layer and now that I'm connecting with you on purpose, I'm understanding that fun layer, uh, <laughs> you know, even even more so. Um, you're meeting these different aspects of yourselves, and they're being treated as um, almost like alter egos. I would use that synonyms. I would say they are alter egos. Just sorry to interrupt. Oh no, please. And so there's, you know, part of me was, was like yeah, this makes sense because there's, you know, I do talk to myself in different voices. Um, some of them are are very, very positive and high energy, and some of them are are quite on the sort of darker side of the spectrum, the more sort of punishing, perfection, shamey stuff. Yes. And you you delineate though between the difference of that and say like multiple personality disorder. Yes, this is about a healthy personality. And I'm glad you brought it up because people think immediately, oh my gosh, that's that's uh I, that's a mental illness, the disassociative identity disorder. And more and more research shows a healthy personality, which voice dialogue is absolutely about a healthy personality consists of many selves. So for example, they're doing brain imaging and they're showing that when you think of yourself from different parts of yourself, different parts of your brain light up. So our sense of self is actually not one place in our brain. So that say our, our maybe wounded inner child is much closer to the amygdala, which is the reptilian brain or the, the um, uh, center of emotion, whereas maybe one of your CEO get through the world uh, alpha type selves are often more toward the frontal cortex, which is our decision making. So this is about health. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think one of the absolute terrors of most humans on this planet is, am I crazy? Everyone wants to make sure they're not because it's terrifying if to, to think that and to have to wherever that we end up talking about that. So no, I, I always think about the meaning behind that question is I just want to make sure, cause I don't want to be crazy. Like no one wants that type of thing. Yeah. And so we're somewhere between, um, you know, an allegory or a metaphor or these actual parts of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Let's go through the, a little bit of the, the method together. And, and I think any exploration of that probably leads us to talking about core beliefs. 
because yeah. the, the, these inner, these aspects of ourselves, um, seem to be either have one-to-one relationships with a core belief or, yes. or many to one with something that is, you know, a primary core belief. If, if there's a hierarchy. Yes, exactly. And, and i and we will do it. And the idea being though, the book, I chose to focus on people who were so close to their goal and then stalled in front of their finish line, because I think that's often a a pattern with myself and so many people, and it's really frustrating and demoralizing, but that is where it's crystallizes. So the book really helps you say, figure out what's going on. And in that case, which selves are for your goal, which selves are against the goal and the selves that are against the goal, they have wisdom. And so the idea is the voice dialogue method helps you find out what that is. And they have concerns because regardless of the self, it has the noble purpose of protection. And so keep that in mind as we go through that. And also that it's a mystery. It it came out whole, the term, the final eighth from like the ethers. When I watch clients that I knew were amazing and really were talking the talk and then boom, suddenly they're stuck and it didn't make sense. It makes sense if you're stuck because suddenly a law was changed and now you have to do something different. You're not really stuck. You're annoyed and you have to shift uh, directions. But the, especially the final lease is about when it's a mystery. It doesn't make sense, which means it's an inside job. And so yeah. that's where you go inside and say, okay, what is this double bind? These parts that are in like a tug of war between I want the goal and I don't want the goal. And I would love to show you a little bit of the technique. Do you want to do it with me? Should I lead you through? Sure. You You get all excited. I get all nervous. (laughs) (laughs) I saw your. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Anyone who wants to go on YouTube and watch my eyes open up up wide. Um, Sure. Yes. I'll play. And, and just before we go into, because I'll put a different hat on for that. um, One of the things that I think is, probably universal about this is like think back like when I this as soon as I saw the title when your publisher sent me the you know the proposal to to have you come on as a guest I was like oh I know what that final eighth is you know it's the it's the the week before finishing an essay during my my undergrad it's the procrast it's it's throwing up roadblocks when something is almost done and not, and not taking it either to market or to fruition. And, you know, and it, so it felt so familiar and, and it had, there's, there's always, there's resistance. But one of the things that I love, and I, in case I forget later, is that you make a saw, you make a big effort to say like, these things are not to be ignored. And that's where I think this is a departure from a lot of what's out there sort of as mainstream self-help, which is you power through yeah. these negative voices that are holding you back and there's no other, there's no wisdom to be found in them. And it's like you, we, there's a danger of minimizing those concerns by not paying attention to, to what they might be trying to say including maybe this isn't really what you want, right? Maybe it's what someone else wants for you. Right. But to have a method, to have a method to go through that is powerful. Yeah, exactly. And I always like to say if doubling down and powering through works, do it. But it's again, when it has stopped working. And I think 
many people underestimate the power. You you can say, oh, well, you know, that core negative belief isn't true. And I would say, oh, I know that. But that doesn't mean it's not completely controlling my life. There's a disconnect. Like, okay, fine. I agree with you. You don't have to convince me. But I still, it's operate, it's what it's my MO right now. And so I thank you for that. I think this method really is a way to say, okay, you're here anyway. You're running my calendar. That's the other thing. You may as well talk to those parts because they've got your life right now. So how about that for just a reason? Yeah, like, and uh, right. So, so I'm so I'm gonna yeah. share with you and anyone listening, that my hesitation is that I, you're talking to someone, I hate role-playing. So if this feels like role-playing to me, it might get weird. So you're the oh, professional here. So you get me out of that. <laughs> so. Oh, I'm so glad. Yes, this is not role-playing at all, at all. So thank you for that. That's and and um and if it feels like role playing, well, and we'll just do a couple. We'll do just only one minute or something so that people can see it. So sure. in the process, you you talk about yourself in the third person when you're in a self, because the idea is when these cells come over, they say, "Oh, this is all the picture. I'm you're seeing everything," and that's another danger. You think you're seeing everything, and you're not. You're you're just seeing the part that from the eyes of those parts of you that are primary. So then when you get to move over and see it from another part, you're literally opening up this your terrain within and have a much better view. And so I don't want a role player unless it's someone who like, if, if, if I might be working with a client, I'm like, and if you have a role player self, let's talk to that role player self. And that role player can show me all the good roles he, he she plays. But this is genuine. It's it's what comes up spontaneously and also in a way that helps you not filter in the usual manner because we would say in voice dialogue, that's a primary self who is your filter. And so is always there ready to make you say or not say something. So we'll just go quickly to a self and, and then you just, you move over slightly and then you talk about Laura in the third person and I am the self and we'll talk about how you feel okay. doing it. All right, I'll try. So, now, this is this is weird. I have to take my glasses off for this. Please No do. filter. There, they're off. Ah, and you can breathe. So what, you can pick any self you'd like. Sure. Um, so, and I'm laughing on the inside going, oh, here I go doing my inner work in public again. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> there's enough of me out there. <laughs> so... Um, so let's, this is, I'll choose something that's very clear and present. So I'm, I'm writing a book, I'm writing a memoir and, um, and for most of the year I have been writing pretty much, if not daily, almost daily. And then September 4th, my, my mom, who's 80 fell and broke her arm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thanks. She gets oh. out of long care um, support tomorrow. So it's, you know, there's, there's a silver lining here, but the reason I'm sharing that is um, there's definitely an aspect of me that kicked in at that point and the writing went by the wayside, which logically makes some sense. We had a lot to take care of, um, but my, um, I don't know what we're going to call it or her, but I'm the, I'm the eldest, I'm the only daughter and it's not the save everybody or take care of everybody. It, it was the, this is more important to the absolute exclusion 
of what else is also important that's that's just mine. So I don't know what we're going to call that self. Maybe you you know. And we don't have to call it anything. I think okay. you've described it beautifully. So it's the part of you that mom is in need and that's it. There's no other priority. I mean, that's what that's the that's the thing that needs to be taken care of. That part of you. Yeah. And there's, and for anyone who's not here, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not judging it. Oh, no, I'm not resentful, but I'm like, oh man, this has been happening. If not with my mom, with somebody else, my entire life. Oh, see, thank right? you. So that's, that's yeah. what we find out is all of these selves are operating now, but they have this history. Yeah. So we're only going to go for, you know, many, many, many seconds. So it's, okay. don't worry. Um, don't have anxiety attacks. <laughs> yes, I've got you. I'm going to keep you okay. safe. Uh, voice dialogue is very safe and we care about safety. So if you don't have a name that jumps out, um, then we can go without a name because it's really about the energetics and the physiology. And those that are watching this podcast as opposed to listening, I mean, I can see your physiology. It just, there was a, a um, when you talked about that self, there was a, a, a heightening of your posture for lack of a better word. And I just, it's like purposeful. There's a, per, there's a, an, a presence and a, a, you're not actually going forward, but this feeling like I'm going to go forward wherever that's needed or oh, something like that. Energetically, that's what I'm picking. Yeah. Up. It's like you're wading in, you know, yes. and taking charge. <laughs> yes. So let's, so go to either one side or the other. So you're not in your okay. center and we'll just right. be with. And you. the point of that, I'm going to stay a little bit in interview. So, so the point yeah. of shifting over. And you, you call it the aware chair in your book. So yeah, so you're leaving the aware chair now. Thank you for that. And going okay. into a self. And oh, the I'll point go closer to the mic. I'm coming closer to the mic, not farther. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, your inner podcast engineer. Yeah. Came in. It just kicked in. <laughs> yes. So um you do that because you always go back there because it's for you to process. But the reason you leave is so that you, Laura, get a sense of this energy without other. Um, distillations and things. You get a sense now of this part of you, energetically, physiologically, and also whatever words we're going to use. That's why. So okay. you get a better sense of this part of yourself for your own self-knowledge. Okay. So um, I have a bunch of questions in the book people can use. So, um, But one is I'd love you to share anything you feel like sharing now about Laura obviously being quite, quite, quite aware we're on podcast. Yeah. Um, well, and of course now I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Um, so about this aspect of me. Yes. And you speak from the eye. So you would say, I, and I know you care very much about Laura's mother. That's how you came up in this conversation. Okay. Maybe you want to say something about that. All right. So, yes. So, um, so yes, I absolutely care very much about my mother and, and my brothers and extended family. And it, this time round was a little different because I voiced some of my concerns about not really wanting to take every single thing on or over. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of everything that we've accomplished together, but I'm also, um, very aware that I have to manage that I don't get angry because I know, because I know what I have, um, let go in the meantime and nobody asked me to let it go. 
Right. But you're the one that made her let it go, right? You're the part of Laura that made her let it go. Other parts are mad about that, but you have a priority, right? Ah, yes, I suppose I do. Yeah. I see you now. Now we're not (laughs) going to stay long because this is a demonstration, but do you, that one important question is, do you need anything from Laura as herself that is separate from her totality? Some rest, <laughs> um, yeah. right? Like we're, we're done now and some rest. That's, that's what I need. Well, thank you. And again, if we were doing a full session, we would spend 20 minutes at least together and I'd uh. find out a lot more about you and what early role you played. Cause I know Laura mentioned, um, this isn't the first time that you've stepped in and done some amazing things. It sounds like your her family really benefits from your love and care. Um, yes. And there have been instances where there one could say I've overstepped. Got you. That's what and you've been accused of. No, no one's ever oh. been brave enough to tell me that. Oh. But... Um, I, I know that because I have some, I have hindsight. Oh, got it. Well, thank you for playing with me. And I, I just, I'm really happy that you're here and it'll be interesting to talk to Laura now, but also after she sees this session and maybe what she learns looking at you from this point. (laughs) So take your time going back to center and don't rush into talking with me so you can feel the physiology and energy shifts between now Laura in the aware chair and now I'm going to talk to you as you and then that part over there is separate Mm -hmm. and I'd love to hear anything you want to share. So sure Um, I'm sure you noticed that and I was surprised that that taking on that voice is actually a lot more playful than I realized. Like there's some, there's something about it that that part of me absolutely loves taking charge and running and running forward. Exactly. And is good at it. Yeah. And making an assumption, but it seems sure. Like- yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I can, I can get, yes, I can, that's, I think that's a big part of the leader in me. And the piece that would be very interesting to explore is the part that gives up the, gives up the, the thing that the leader is creating for herself Yes, exactly. versus for other people. That's brilliant right there. And also the other thing about doing this work is even if you don't go to herself, you can note what other selves were around. So you had an, she mentioned an angry self. So that's in there somewhere, a part that's angry about letting go of your, your own personal agenda. And so we're not going to do it now, but great uh, exercises that are in the book is like, what is the rule for success according to that self, say versus the other one? And it sounds like internally, we have permission to do certain things. Like you have permission more to be in that self and somehow the permission for you to go forward on your own CEO uh, manifestations, you don't have as much permission. So Mm. it it flips away easier. And the book talks about that, um, that we have to, that sometimes that final eighth is because you don't have internal permission to go from contender to victor. 
Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for playing with me. No, so we would oh. go to a different self if we were having a full session. And certainly some were mentioned, like you said, the one that gives up your personal agenda for almost the larger agenda of caring for the your mom or maybe other family members too. Yeah. Or even the, like, and you could extend it out to the, whether it's like the, the, the community, the group, the people that I'm working with when I was a teacher, the students, you know, like it's, you know, so it's definitely a big part. And I, and I want to actually, before I, I lose this, you know what, the, even doing that for a couple of minutes, like we just did, it really helped because as I said about the whole role-playing thing, when I was reading about the methodology, my, um, I guess, high and mighty self was, was <laughs> looking at it going, oh, this is kind of cute, right? And, and thinking, and I explained to you, we talked about this a bit before yes. we came on, the deeper I got into the book, the more I was like, oh, this is, this is, uh, this is not just cute. This is, there's all kinds of ways to, to look through this, this construct at yourself and your self-awareness. So that was really fun. And thank you for being brave enough to do it on here with me. Well, thank you for being brave enough to say yes. And you know that, what did you call her? The high and mighty self? I think yes. that's wonderful. And the high and mighty self, if you went to that uh, self, you'd ask kind of like, how long have you been in my life? What's your greatest successes? So even like my high and mighty self, because I've got one too, might be, oh my God. I insulted so-and-so with my I'm superior stuff. Like you let the selves just share their greatest successes, which might not actually be something you're willing to share publicly, meaning maybe you are a little nervous about it or it's taboo or you have shame. And that, and the private- Or maybe you're a bit of an asshole, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry to say. Or I, I should have said I. (laughs) Right. Oh, I have an asshole and you know, I may as well just admit it because uh, rather than be ashamed or embarrassed about it. And as a result, I'm probably an asshole less because I have a direct relationship with that self. And now I can say, hey, what's going on? I feel my shackles rising and I feel like just being a cutting asshole. And then often I can say, oh, because underneath some vulnerability within me has been struck. I don't need to act out if I can focus Mm -hmm. in. And if I need to act out because I need to protect myself and my inner asshole helps me, then I want to have access when it is exactly the right time to cut someone down and get out or whatever it is. So again, it's so personal. But if you don't have two things, if you don't have access to your own inner asshole, you often don't recognize assholes. And then you let yourself be taken advantage of. Because if you have a self that says it's all good and everyone's good and da, da, da. That's great for that self, but that is, if that's all you have access for, then you're actually more in danger if you can't recognize an asshole because you don't have one, so you think. So that's the other part yeah. in terms of where it gets deeper. People like to disown their victim, their predator, and it's not that they, the fear is that that's going to be what they come become fully, and it's not true. But a little homeopathic dose of awareness of your own victim or predator, which I talk about in the book, then you can recognize one and you can go away. Some of it is not about actually in, to, tran- to have a transaction. Some of it's like, oh, my antenna is telling me this is dangerous. I'm going to step back. Yeah. You know, when I was listening to you and when we're having, um, we're playing with inner asshole, but I can see how in the, in the, um, 
it, what was coming up for me was, yeah, that sounds a lot like the, the amount of awareness that you need, say, to be able to recognize, say, a narcissist, right? Like if you don't have awareness of your own narcissistic tendencies, then you are very vulnerable because it's not behavior that you, you recognize in others. So you're less likely to be able to see through the, um, you know, the veil that, that they put up. You'll get seduced by the wonderful aspects of many narcissists, like the, the The charisma, the the what, say again, sorry, the the charisma or the, yes, the charisma. And also then we have selves, and I think some of this might be evolutionary. I don't know, because we are social beings who, who need to attach in order to thrive, just period. But there's parts that are like, oh, that person is knows everything. I can relax. And then like sort of our inner children let big parent take over. And it feels delicious. And you again, if you can be aware of the deliciousness or the toxicity you just have more choice. And sometimes I think it's very boring what the overall goal is, which is have more choice. It's not more complicated than that. It can be quite complex, but having more choice and have that be actually true is liberating. And I have a chapter in here called practice safe success because having more choice is also a stressor. Mm. Potentially. How does that relate? Like what's the... What's the, the stressful eight? piece? Yes. yes. So, so I think a lot of times the final eighth, you have this, that you're stuck inside of the finish line. Suddenly there are parts that are like, well, I, I, if I'm too attached to my nice person selves, then I'm going to have to make decisions. If I, if I say for my own company or, or leave the corporate world and start my own, I'm going to be the asshole. I'm going to be the one that says, great idea. Don't have the budget or whatever it is. And if I'm not able to withstand the, the distress of making other people unhappy because I have a picture of the larger goal, that's where it fits in, is that you've got to have the, the, the tolerance, I think, have tolerance for all of these choices. And, and then that the buck stops with you. And before you could say, well, you know, I'm licensed to do X, so I can't do more than that. I maybe you're frustrated on the one hand, but there may be parts who are really comfortable. Yep, that's not my bailiwick. I'm just here. So you'll have to go elsewhere. And there's nothing wrong with that. But again, choice is the key. And that's how it relates. I don't know. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. And you you also brought up one of the ways that I sometimes have articulated some of this is, is in terms of bandwidth, right? Like that choice give, would that. give you that more bandwidth to be able to withstand the, say, as a leader, um, out of the example that you chose, like the, the unpopular aspects of your, of your decisions, because we all, we can't make everybody happy. No. And no. so, and, and I can even equate that in my own journey to, um, you know, to participate, say, in some of the projects that I do around my own story. It's like, well, if you're going to put yourself forward in that, some of the crippling fear in the past has been around, you know, what will other people think or judgment and, and with practice and repetition and sometimes learning the hard way. It's, it's, it's about realizing that, yes, there's a part of me that wants to have that public persona. And there's the other part that is, it's just anathema, right? It, it makes me, it's that fight, flight or or freeze. And you have to manage that consciously. 
Exactly. And that's what I feel the final eighth process gives you some great ways to do that. And that then your decision-making is more conscious. Am I doing it because I want so-and-so to like me? Now that's all we're, we we have uh, societal, like that's not the right reason, but maybe if in terms of networking, maybe it is the right reason and not because you're taking away from yourself, but it's like, you know what? This person actually is part of my growth goal. So I'm going to behave a certain way or I'm going to put off X, Y, or Z. But if you have, if you're being dictated by the mottos of other parts, like always be nice or um, no conflict is bad. Like good girls don't do that or smart people don't do that or, you know, all of these voices that we, and thoughts that we may be self-generating, but maybe we were gifted them earlier in life as well. Yes. And that's one of the exercises is to ask the self, what rules of success do you live by? So your good girl would say, well, just be really, really good. And if that doesn't work, be even better. And if that doesn't work, be even better, better, go to girder, right? Boring. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> exactly. And not very effective. Now, that so when you find out, like you said, whether they've been gifted to you or somehow you pick them up, you realize, whoa, I can't operate by those rules and move forward. And that's, again, the double bind brings, to me, flushes out these old rules and ways of leading that are not effective anymore. And I call it a detox. It like detoxes your system and you can take out stuff that either doesn't work anymore or, in fact, was always a bit of poison and that it was never the right approach. And, and But these parts of you carry those beliefs still. They don't know better yet. Yet. Yeah. Keyword. Let's jump into the double bind because that definitely, that jumped off the page. Um, I can't remember if that was the first, it had been such a long time since anyone put that idea in front of me. I think it came out when I, I did my undergrad in psychology. So oh, okay. there, you know, so it was around me, but the way you've explored it in the book is really um, very powerful. So let's start off with what is a double bind? Where does the idea come from? And then how does it work within the final eighth and the inner voice dialogue? Yeah, because I think this is one of the key aspects. So the double bind, you're right, comes out of the 1950s. Uh, a guy named Bateson put it together in studies with schizophrenia. Again, we're talking about healthy personality here, but that's where it originally came out. Okay. So and definitely it was my undergrad. So yes, yeah. that's yeah. okay. Perfect. Thank you. Of course. And so the double bind is a literal irreversible dilemma. I'm sorry, um, unresolvable dilemma. And so the classic one is Sophie's Choice, the movie or the book, where the soldier says, which child do you want basically me to go and kill? Which child are you going to give me that will probably end up? being killed. That's a double bind. You can't win. And the other thing about the double bind, it's so psychologically scarring. Like in that, her, the, the book and the movie were her never getting over at that moment when she gave away one child versus the other child. Mm. And so that's a very dramatic one. But a lot of times uh, people are in a double bind, kind of like if the good girl in you runs your life and you need to be assertive, that's a double bind. You cannot be a good girl all the time and um, move into your next level of success, whatever that is, it cannot happen. And so 
a lot of times these rules that we have, like being the good girl is like, I'm using that one. That was one of my primary cells, certainly. So it's, it's got the weight sometimes of the morality of a cardinal sin. And that's paralyzing. You're speaking the Catholic language here. Yeah, sister. With a name like Bridget <laughs> and, and Laura. And so that's the other reason I think this is such a good technique and, and why it doesn't work for so many people to just say, well, bulldoze those core negative beliefs. Because two, a few things, those core negative beliefs or fundamental beliefs, and they're usually negative, meaning you're bad in some way, they're so painful. But if a couple of things happen, so the, if, so you believe, so there's parts of you that believe, say, I'm unlovable. And the thing about core negative beliefs is they are always false. 100% false. However, what's true is you were told that, that's painful. And what's also true is you believed it and made decisions as if it were true. So often there's grief here because you didn't think you were worthwhile. You didn't stand up for yourself and you didn't pursue your own goals, which is one of my woundings. And that's what helped me write this book. So you start to understand that some of the double bind, again, is also invisible. That's part of its power. You can't see it. And so you're up against the double bind, which is that stalled, stuck state, which is the seven eighths versus the final eighth. And you've got parts of you that are have what we call cognitive dissonance. If the other parts of you say, but it's all love and everything's energy, and I believe that it is. It's not untrue. However, it's not the whole picture. So it's all love goes up against um, I'm unlovable. It doesn't work. It's corrosive. And it's like, also, it, it can generate anxiety and depression because we're so smart. It's like, wait a minute. If, if I'm unlovable and all is love, then I'm a fool for even trying. I'm stupid. And I don't want to be stupid. I'm stupid because I'm not going to fall for that crap that it's all love because I know I'm unlovable. And I'm talking with words that are conscious. Most of this is deeply unconscious. I'm just using words to reflect what's happening deeply inside. And you can see just the way that you've put that, um, the links that we'll go to make ourselves right. Yes. In that regard. Yes. And that's about tragedy. I think that's partly, again, some of the motivation for my writing the book. I consider those un- unlived lives tragedies. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, in the, I think it was within the double bind, um, you describe um, the parentified child. Yes. So that's another, uh, again, term that comes out of psychology. So the parentified child, and I really, can I just make a, a, a station break for all, there's also wonderful aspects. So you, you're seven eighths, because you're in this double bind, you actually work amazingly hard and you meet amazing people and you get amazing experiences. So what, uh, what we're talking about is not to put down the good stuff. And that also is true with the parentified child. A parentified child often has extraordinary mm-hmm. strengths because of what they uh, brilliantly went through, although it's very painful. So the simple version of a parentified child is they take care of their parents' emotional needs so that they put their own needs aside to take care of the parent. I'm noticing a little echo. Um, sorry. Oh. <laughs> um, oops. Oops. <laughs> and again, it's never a bad thing to. Surprise says no one. 
There we go. Although I see the blushing part come out again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're all good. So, yeah, and we're I'll all just good. say there's nothing wrong with putting a schedule aside to help with a family. In fact, there might be something very wrong if someone didn't do it. So that well, this is not us talking about landing on one side or the other and one is better than the other. But so the parentified child is in a few things. They're set up for what is the Sisyphean task. Now that's the Greek myth where the guy, for whatever reasons we won't get into, keeps pushing up the boulder. And just as the boulder gets to the top of the mountain, it rolls down taking Sisyphus with him. And he's doomed for this. Now that's totally the final eight. How many times have you gone all the way up to the top of the mountain? A lot of people don't go up the mountain. So that this is not for them. Yeah. So congratulations on getting seven eighths of the way there. Right. Right. But what happens is you, 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 you solidify your core negative beliefs as I'm not worthy. I'm incapable. And at the Sisyphean task, it's a trick. It's not, you're not a failure because you can't get that boulder up the mountain. It's an impossible task as is parenting your unparented parents. You can't do it. You were not your you, and mm. little ones and older ones, myself included, would do anything to heal the parent to ha- and to have them love us in the way we want love. But but the other thing that happens, it's internalized that it's impossible. So now all they can see is how they haven't been able to help the parent be a better parent. Even though often they do, they often get, they become charismatic and problem solvers and cheerful ones and all of that wonderful stuff that we don't want to throw away. But ultimately, they look outward. How is everybody doing? And I'm not safe until I know everyone's well. So again, a lot of it is not altruism. It's like, Mm. uh uh-oh, I'm seeing something. Right. It sounds more like, it sounds more like self-preservation than altruism. Correct. And I think it is. And again, nothing wrong with altruism, but you ha- and also it gives you a role that you can focus on, say at four and five, because especially if it's a chaotic house, but I know where to look. How's mom doing? How's dad doing? Who's crying? Da, 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 whatever. How's my little brother doing? And then it's like, oh, I'll take care of little brother, maybe whatever it is. And so that's the good news is that again, you've got great empathy muscles, all kinds of things. You have clairvoyance often that's just it's like uh oh something just happened in Kansas and I can feel it and neither of us are living in Kansas and we're at it's coming (laughs) no one else can see it it's coming right yeah absolutely about within I every time I might abandon my other selves that are much more aligned to my higher purpose and so that's part of the goal is to pull that beautiful loving parts of you that have a distorted loyalty, but it's out of love. I love you, parents. I want I want you to have whatever it is you want. And that's a parentified child with its gifts and its stings. And, and once you can get to know them and these parts, you just love them. And it is an inner parenting, like you parent those parts and you say, thank you. But you allow them to keep that story. You never tell them that that didn't happen when it happened. It doesn't, it's not the story of today, but that's a big one that since I've written a book, I've gotten more fierce about that. You just hold that self and you're like, yeah, that really happened Mm. because you're validating it because so much of the parentified child, it's invisible stuff. It's like, why, why are you so upset? And it's like me. Yep. 
And you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to um, reinforce what you just said there because you give yeah. it a fair amount of real estate in the book. And so just by virtue of that, it was going to be on my list, you know, let alone, alone the fact that it's rather obvious it applies to me. But, um, but when you think of the beginning of, um, of the year, when people went into um, lockdown, there were a lot of memes going on about the latchkey kids. And, you know, and I, I'm 53. So I was a child of the 70s. And what happened in the 70s, moms went back to work. Um, and kids were taking care of themselves at home and maybe putting on dinner or, you know, this, this idea of coming home for lunch and being fed bologna sandwiches by mom at lunch, you know, it went, it went away. And so even just without anything, um, without anything specific happening in the home, you can see how generationally there's, there's this, um, cohort of people who experience that kind of a, you know, reversal of, or upending of the the previous norm and had to fend for themselves. And that, and to me, that's why I think it's really, it's worth exploring because I don't think it's really been looked at all that much across the board. So you had all of these people born in the late sixties and seventies celebrating themselves because they knew exactly what to do when it was time to go into lockdown. Yes. So there's something here about that, even if it was only to take care of yourself. And given how what you're talking about, and that that can also be considered resilience. Again, like you said, it's not all bad. And so I agree. Absolutely. I, I was actually talking to um, Sidra, Sidra Stone, who developed with her husband, Hal, voice dialogue method the other day. And she felt that people who were more in touch with their varying selves handled the covid lockdown and other behavioral requirements much easier because they already had a more fluid sense of, okay, well, my office self doesn't have a place to go. And there was a lot of grief. Like even if people complained, they loved their office. They loved their gym, their watering holes, their weekend park get togethers. And there was, and it's, and those selves were desperate for those things and they just, they couldn't in, in the name of health. And so that's a great way to put it, but then if you're aware, if you're, if you've got some latchkey st- uh, skills and you're like, all right, you know, I, I have a belly con bouncer now so that I still get my exercise in a very efficient way. That's fun. My little kid loves it because mm-hmm. I couldn't go to the gym. And so I immediately went to, well, I'm not going to not exercise. So what's another option? Whereas I think some people are like, I don't know what to do. Cause my gym right. self went to the gym and took care of that aspect of my life. There's something huge here about um, the yes. value of the awareness journey in general uh, or the self-awareness as a skill to um, or a muscle to develop because, you know, it's that conversation that that you had mirrors some of the conversations that I've had either with um, guests. I don't think anyone else recorded, though, I think before or after or some of my friends who have been, um, who are, you know, work in the field or have been along the journey with me. And, you know, it's, and it, you could probably extend it to like, if you think about the trauma and the loss, so people who have had to process that energy already, um, or suddenly the world, you know, what you thought was true, isn't true anymore, all of that. Um, it's, it's a skill set. 
it's a skill, it's a skill set that we can, that we can develop by one method or another. Really helpful. No, you're also reminding me because I don't want to minimize it. The, like also the rites and rituals that humans love, like having someone die of COVID who and couldn't even hold their hand. Oh. You know, there's so also there's deep grieving to be had and those those parts of us that over centuries rituals help us deal with certain things. So I also want to acknowledge that. And a lot of times, and I talk about this in the book, we actually cultivate cells because we have to, not because we want to. We get a diagnosis separate from COVID. This was, you know, unrelated to COVID or cool things happen. You have a kid and then you have a second kid and then you got two kids with sibling rivalry and you get the job of your dreams. Like if we're able to, it's because good things have happened. I, I often say, really, the final eighth is a success issue. It's our light that is scary, much more than our dark. I mean, obviously, it comes off of Marion Williamson in terms of the dark light, but it, I, I couldn't agree with it more. Well, and to, to think about it, it's the, the final eight. It is, you know, success or completion is within grasp. And for whatever reason, you're not right. grabbing right. The, the brass ring. And then this book helps you figure that out. And also the wisdom of not grabbing it. So you're not like, hey, can I get what's, can you move along? I want to grab this grass, this brass ring. You'd go to the self that says, oh no. And then you that self will tell you. And I'm noticing my body. And also there, all of these selves are uh, in a posture. Exactly. You have a posture. And so that's one way to find out what selves are operating. One of my exercises that I love and for your listeners is just bullet point throughout the day. When the alarm clock rings at 530 in the morning and wakes you from a deep sleep, you've got five selves in response right in a way. Turn that thing off or, oh, I'm excited. We're going to get up or the responsible one. Okay. 10 more minutes, but then yes, I'll get up. And so it's just, that's our natural way and then just start to bullet point, not have any opinion. Oh, you can have your opinions, but you don't have to write anything about it. Just who's showing up and when, including the ones that want to say something that don't. That would be a self. They don't have to actually express, but they're there. And then you get to start to understand, wow, I've got a lot of selves. And that goes back to awareness. How And it's wonderful. Yeah. And, it's, uh, and I've got a lot of selves and I'm not crazy. Exactly. You are not crazy. I would actually say you're mentally healthy. The opposite. I mean, I think having access, it's like your mental health and resilience is so much wider bandwidth, which I love that term. It's like you, ex you expand your bandwidth. Um, so let's, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like we could be on here for hours. Um, but before we start to, to bring this to a, a natural close, let's talk about um, some of the strategies that people can use to get themselves to the finish line and across it, assuming that this is a finish line that wants to be crossed. Good assumption. Um, so, so literally talk, dialoguing with that self and I have a series of questions and finding out what's going on. And I once had a client who we went to her resist herself and because she was self-sabotaging, as they say, and she was in the entertainment field and she, as a performer and she was actually moving up. And so suddenly then she was blowing these auditions and these are auditions she had fought hard to get. 
So we went to this self. I expected this kind of uh, big thwarting energy, kind of almost like a four-year-old saying no. And a lot of times we still are, are attached to our core negative beliefs because they came in so early. And so that's why logic doesn't work. It's not held in our logic parts. So that's a quick aside. So anyway, I didn't get that part. It's what the part that came surprised us both. I got a much more um, sophisticated, almost leaning in to tell me a secret that my client had a potential drinking problem if she were to move up. Exactly. We were both stunned. I had worked with her for a year and had never come up. And so we went back to center and my client just started crying because that part was correct. The, and the idea of being out and socializing, going to parties was mandatory in her field. She had to go. And so from that point of view of that self, she was saving her life. From that self, what? Bridget becomes an alcoholic or Bridget becomes a performer. I'm just using my client's name. Um, there's no contest. From that self's point of view, right. alcoholic is out. Then the whole shift, of the, our work shifted to talk about how she could say no when she meant no, because she often said yes when she meant no, and how to handle the mm-hmm. drinking. Um, she didn't have a big problem, but she had to be aware that her stress level was going to make her more dependent. And that was an uh, antenna for that self who had problems of dependence in the family line. So you end up respecting, like, I actually want to know the secret of the part that doesn't want it. It's not your enemy. They're often not your soft and fuzzy, friendly inner selves, but they're the ones that are like, look, if you want this, then this has to happen. And often the cells, once you take care of those concerns, they back off. And so the idea is the double bind, the final eighth knot, often it's not like you have to use as much force. It's like, oh, it like literally kind of unknots because the concern is being dealt with. Once my client started to just handle become more aware and then handle things differently, including making sure she got enough sleep um, because that was one of her big vulnerabilities. Because that self did not care about her career, actually. That self could care less. That self wanted to protect and probably knew without it being in her awareness that she wasn't resilient enough or didn't have the the, um, ability to have boundaries around it especially when she had a few drinks in her. So exactly. So that was the, the, the mystery was unlocked and that self had, had protection as its only strength. And so the more she did, the more this one had to just like say no to the, and that was the knot for the final eighth knot. That is so, it actually mirrors a conversation I had recently with somebody um, about um, and, and, and it was over, it was over alcohol and, and it's uncanny, the similarities. Yeah. So there's, there's just so much to be gained. And, and I mean, I, I hope that anyone listening hears not just the enthusiasm of two people talking about no. all of this stuff, right? We've never met before <laughs> and, you know, and here we are, right? <laughs> which is so, so fun. But also like the the deep excitement that comes from how empowering it is, you know, to be able to uncover these things about you. And there's different ways. There's so many different ways to get there. And if, if I'll just use myself as 
as a bit of context, you know, when this wasn't a, a method that I was aware of until reading your your book. And so I I went down a very different um, path to um, becoming aware of some of these core negative beliefs and my own, you know, parentified child if, if I didn't have that label at the time. But the value in doing it is so powerful. And then of course, because it's me, there's, there's always something. And because we've also seen a bit of my protective side, which is part of why I have this podcast is there's also the, there's vulnerability in in going down this path as well. And that's partly why this podcast exists and why I have a voice in this, in this sphere is to investigate and explore resources and and tools that allow for both the 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 light and the serious or you know the the positive and the negative aspects and and knowing that like every trait every tool every self has a very light and powerful side and also has um you know has less endearing aspects and it's all perfectly okay it's it's not normal it's not abnormal it's not unhealthy Exactly. Exactly. I, and, and, and then it, it's so energizing, you know, just everything you said. And so you have access to so much more energy because it's not wrapped up in blocking. Well, Bridget, my goodness, what a pleasure to meet you and to play with you and to be able to share this, this book and your, your work. Oh, oh. I will leave, um, links in the show notes to your website and and to the book um do you have any uh, beyond the book on your website do you have any resources that you can guide people towards that that might broaden their their journey yes uh, i'm glad you asked so yeah i'm completely reachable online and all of that stuff but every third thursday of the month at 8 p.m eastern my colleague eric and i offer a free zoom shop where we show two basic short voice dialogue sessions. And that way, as people are reading the book, they're envisioning however they are, and that's great, but they can come see once a month and just watch an unfolding, just like with you, it's not pre-rehearsed, it's a real session. And they should just contact me for the Zoom information, and I'll give them that month's Zoom information. We encourage people to come a lot, but sometimes it really helps people to see it. They're like, oh, and when you come, bring your journal because it's so edifying just even coming in and watching voice dialogue because you're like, oh, I didn't know about that self because, of course, it's a mirror. So that one is so much fun. And, and that's ongoing. Third Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern. Well, thanks so much for sharing so enthusiastically and and being willing to uh, to take me on. And And I love the idea of that Zoom because like it did for me here it made it it kind of closed a gap in understanding between you know between reading it and and just getting into that voice it's it it felt like a subtle shift but then but energetically it wasn't subtle at all and that's what we had hoped to close that gap wonderful thanks so much for your time and your energy That concludes our episode of Free Your Inner Guru. If you enjoyed and got value out of it, remember to subscribe to the podcast so you are notified immediately when a new one is released. And be sure to check out our Instagram 
and Facebook, as well as we do have a Facebook group. All of those are the free resources to Free Your Inner Guru, along with a Free Your Inner Guru guidebook that you can find by following the links on our website, freeyourinnerguru.com. Something fun happened when Bridget and I brought our conversation for the podcast to an end. We sat back in our chairs and just started chatting. And as often happens during these chats, even more content came pouring out. And so for the first time, there's going to be content on Patreon for the patrons of the show who are helping to cover the expenses of Free Your Inner Guru. I was planning on starting it in the new year, but this one makes it a no-brainer to share over there. So if you would like to support the show and be part of the Free Your Inner Guru community, come on over to patreon.com where you will see that there are ways to lend your support financially to the podcast for as little as $2 a month or become a more active participant in the community. Uh, We meet a couple of times a month. The first time focuses on leadership and the second time is a self-care tune-up and that will be continuing all through 2021 and beyond. So uh, thank you for listening. I know you've got a lot of opportunity to receive your podcast wisdom in uh, there's lots of great stuff out there. So I'm grateful you're here and look forward to welcoming you back. I'm Laura Tucker signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.